0: Welcome back to the girl.gov podcast. I am your host, Rachel. And today I'm speaking with the president and CEO of Ronald McDonald House Charities, Kelly Dolan. Kelly Dolan brings over 30 years of experience in fundraising, marketing, and nonprofit management to her position as president and CEO at Ronald McDonald House Charities. In this role, she leads a strategic vision of the organization's long-term growth, impact, and delivery of their mission at Ronald McDonald House Charity Chapters around the world. Additionally, Dolan provides strategic guidance for system-wide programs that support and strengthen the chapter network that serves millions of children and their families each year throughout 62 countries and regions with an annual revenue of $700 million. Kelly started her career with Leo Burnett in Chicago and transitioned into the nonprofit sector after a move to Atlanta. Just prior to Kelly joining Ronald McDonald House Charities, she served as an executive director for the Atlanta Women's Foundation. The foundation's mission is to be a catalyst for change in the lives of women and girls and to end generational poverty. The organization funds programs and services for women and girls throughout a community impact strategy that is designed to break cycles of poverty. Before joining the Atlanta Women's Foundation, Kelly served as an executive director for two global health organizations, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Georgia and the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation, Greater Atlanta affiliate. Prior to those roles, Kelly also served as a Director of Strategic Marketing for Eggleston Children's Healthcare System, the largest children's healthcare system in the Southeast. Through her strategic vision, marketing skills, and management acumen, Kelly elevated the brands and increased revenue during her 10 years at all three of these organizations. Consistently increasing impact, overcoming obstacles, and engaging groups of people in a shared vision have been the hallmark of Kelly's success in each of the organizations she has served. Kelly and Ronald McDonald House Charities won the National PNR News Award for Philanthropy and Human Relations in 2019, was inducted into the YWCA Academy of Women's Achievers, and was named one of the top 50 nonprofit leaders by the Atlanta Business Chronicle. She is also a four-time Public Relations Society Award winner, including her receipt of the prestigious Phoenix Award for Overall Excellence in Public Relations. We are really excited to have Kelly on the podcast. And with that being said, let's get into the episode. Good morning, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us. I would love to hear a little bit more about yourself and your role at Ronald McDonald House Charities.
1: Sure. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Um, So I am the president and CEO of Ronald McDonald House Charities. We are a global organization. A lot of people, I think, don't realize that. We are actually in 62 countries and regions, and we serve millions of children and families each year. And so it is my privilege, truly privilege, uh, to be the leader of this great organization. We have chapters all over the world, and it is really a fascinating and very fulfilling uh, role to play.
0: Thank you. And I I love that Ronald McDonald is such like a household name, like it's something Mm -hmm. that everyone knows. So I'm I'm so excited to hear a little bit more about it. And I, I would love to know kind of like the mission, who you guys serve, just a little bit of like what the programs and really what a Ronald McDonald House charity stands for.
1: Sure. You know, it's interesting you say that, that uh, people know the name and we've done studies, uh, as you might imagine, to qualify and quantify all of that. And uh, what we what we learn over and over again is um, people are very familiar with Ronald McDonald House Charities because they think of it as their own local charity, uh, because they're very familiar with a local Ronald McDonald House. And we have 379 of those all over the world. But we also have two other core programs, which is the Ronald McDonald Family Rooms, which are less known, uh, and those are actually located in hospitals. And I'll talk a little bit about that later, what those are involved in that, but we also have mobile programs all over the world where we do, we provide mobile health and dental and public health um, information for the pediatric population all over the world. Um, So I think it's uh, it's always fun uh, to have the opportunity to talk with folks like you uh, and really have the opportunity to educate people about the broader focus of the organization and Um, Since we have chapters all over the world, we also have specialized programs. So the chapters uh, really pay attention to the needs of their local community, and they provide programs around uh, mental health, around education, Uh, certainly food insecurity issues, uh, certainly helping families with compliance um, of taking care of their children, especially even after they leave the Ronald McDonald House. And we have programs called House to Home and helping them with that transition. Um, So we have literally almost 700 uh, different programs all over the world uh, to support children and their families. And um, just to give you an idea of the scope of what we do, um, last year... We saved, I'm sorry, I keep saying last year, it's early 2022. So in 2020, because we don't have all of our 21 numbers in yet, we saved uh, families million in lodging and food costs. And so as you can imagine, that is a really primary focus um, of what we do. We are a leader in what we call family-centered care, making sure that families are part of the healthcare journey and the decision-making process uh, for their children. Uh, So most people think of our um, ability to keep families close uh, to their child when they are critically injured or ill. As a nice to have, but what we uh, know through research, it really is a have to have because the well being of the child and the impact on the child's recovery is significant, as you might imagine, um, having a parent close by, not only to emotionally support the child, but to be part of those dis- healthcare decisions. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really quite extraordinary, and it is um, something that we're proud of, but also something that um, has continued need. Uh, So even though we, as I mentioned, are in 62 countries, the need continues to grow. So our, our goal going into 22 and beyond is to continue to fundraise at an extremely high level so that we can continue to build these programs and help more families.
0: I can imagine like especially for a kid who is like newly sick or in the hospital like those those situations can be really stressful and I can't imagine how that feeling is for a kid so it is so important to like have that family there which which is great of what you guys are doing because I, I think if I was a kid and I was like alone hearing all of this like medical jargon and you know having like different people come up to me every day I would definitely want my family there so I think that's super vital to what you guys do
1: and what what the house programs, a lot of people don't know, we um, have siblings that stay as well. So for, especially as you're talking about, older children are aware, right, of their surroundings and um, to be able to have their siblings around and to have what we try to provide more than anything is moments of normalcy. We want to make sure that the family is able to function within one of our Ronald McDonald Houses, uh, just as they would at home. Um, So we have, you know, family game nights. We certainly have, of course, I mentioned all the food programs. We have. um, We are being hampered, as you might imagine, with COVID in terms of being able to have the major volunteer groups that come in. Um, Prior to COVID, we employed, and I say employed, uh, but it is four hundred and ninety thousand volunteers across the world. And we only have a staff of just over 5,000 paid staff across the world. So you can imagine um, what a lifeblood um, that is for us. That's 490,000 part-time workers, basically, um, when you think of it that way. But what we do with our house program, we want to make sure that they do have those moments. We have playrooms, we have story time, um, and we also have very um, intimate areas within the house where the families, not only when they're in their own rooms and suites, but where they can have a little bit of a family room feel and a family room time where they can just have sort of those natural moments. Um, In a lot of our houses, we even have separate kitchens that are just for the family use so that they can have their own food stored and that they can make um, maybe the types of food that they would make at home that would make them feel even more at home. So they have access to the food that we we provide, but then they we also give them areas where possible where they can make their own meals and they can sit down just as a family. So we know uh, what that does for the mental health not only of the patient, but especially of stress relieving and emotional well-being for the parents and the siblings.
0: Yeah. And I was going to say, I'm sure that sense of normalcy really plays like a huge role in someone's care plan. You know, like what you were saying, I, I can imagine for parents too, it probably takes off so much stress and just like being able to physically be there for your kid is probably like the best thing that you could give a parent. So I think that that's, that's definitely amazing. And I I would love to also ask like how, how Ronald McDonald came about kind of Mm -hmm. what influenced this mission.
1: Sure. It actually started in 1974. So in a way, we're not very old. Um, you know, we've grown considerably. Um, and there was a, uh, a physician in uh, Philadelphia, we started in Philadelphia, uh, Dr. Audrey Evans, um, and she is still alive. And she is still one of the guiding forces and um, the, really the conscience of our of our organization and mission. And what she realized in treating cancer patients was this. Need that she at that time, you know, hospitals were very different than they are now in terms of allowing access um, to visitors and and to see patients. It was just um, much more strict. And, and there, you know, the idea of of pet therapy that is so common now of bringing, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, dogs that are trained um, into all of that type of thing was not being done. And in many hospitals, there was not accommodation for families to stay overnight with their children, which is now quite commonplace, right, and and Mm -hmm. so when people, it's hard for people who weren't around at that time uh, to understand that it was just a very different um, healthcare setting, and what Mm -hmm. she saw was um, she was quite irreverent, uh, which I love, and she still is in her 90s, and she allowed, um, she tells a great story about a patient who had leukemia, a very sick little girl, And she really wanted her pet bunny. And, um, of course, that was totally against hospital protocol. And she said, I don't care, get the darn bunny, and told the parents to bring the bunny in. And she saw, you know, what this did for this child's well being. And so, She teamed up with a couple whose child was undergoing treatment, um, Fran and Fred Hill, and he actually was a player for the Philadelphia Eagles. And so they realized that there was this need and they decided they were going to buy a house um, near the hospital and they got the Philadelphia Eagles involved. And then uh, the Philadelphia Eagles had a connection with McDonald's. And so um, the regional owner, operator, and, and regional staff in that area got involved. And so was Ronald McDonald House Charities born. And so it's a great story and a story that is emblematic of who we are today, which is it's at its center. It was a patient family. Who who started it? You know who was uh, behind it with, with a healthcare partner, the doc, the, the doctor, the widely known physician who uh, saw the need for it. And then there were the external partners, right? It was McDonald's that they did a Shamrock Shake in those days, and they did a percentage of that to to raise money in that area. And then another partner, which is what we still use today, our other other outside partners that help support us. In that case, it was uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. So. And, you know, this many years later, we still work with all of those groups uh, to continue to grow uh, the program. So it's, it's really a great story and a story that was born of need and a story of people coming together to make a difference.
0: And we'll get into this a little bit later too, when looking into the executive leadership team and just hearing the story that you're telling me now, I love how much women influence this. Like, I love that you guys have a strong foundation of like women who are really leading this. So I think that in itself is amazing. And just like, chef's kiss. If you ask me, (laughs) um, I would love to ask too, like you have a really large background in healthcare and awareness organizations. I know that you previously worked for Susan G. Komen um, and and the leukemia and lymphoma society was the Ronald McDonald house (laughs) charities. um, Was it always in the plan? Um, Was that kind of like a no brainer of of a next step for you?
1: Well, interesting. Um, and we'll probably get into this a little later when you, when you want to talk a little bit about leadership development and career development, particularly for women. So I don't know that Ronald McDonald House Charities, per se, in my head was my, my ultimate goal. So, But what I found and what most people find in their career is that you, you con- if you continue to make good decisions and you make decisions with integrity and with intent, you continue to land where you're supposed to be. So I actually um, had built a career, I, I'm a native of Chicago area, uh, but wound up through personal circumstances um, in Atlanta, and I built a 27-year career in Atlanta, Georgia. And through that um, worked, and we can talk a little bit about this later, but my first job actually in nonprofit was in, with a children's hospital, uh, mm-hmm. children's healthcare system, And then I continued, as you mentioned, a lot, most of my roles in nonprofit were in healthcare. I did step out and do some other community building and I've done a lot of work. Um, I also was the executive director of the Atlanta Women's Foundation, which we can talk about that. That'll, uh, but that's really focused on community building. And um, that was focused of course on women and breaking cycles of poverty. So I've done um, professionally heavy focus on healthcare but in my volunteer, Uh, side and my board service it's been very much in community building and then of course with the foundation doing grant making right so it's I've had a um a very lucky very you'll hear me say that word a lot I've had a very lucky path and career but I had made the personal decision to move back to Chicago to take care of my parents my parents are aging and my father was quite ill Um, so I made the decision to leave Atlanta after 27 years and move home and was going to take some time, uh, take a little bit of a break, and out of the blue, got a phone call from a recruiter um, who had heard through the grapevine in Atlanta that there was press about me leaving Atlanta, and she saw that and uh, said, "Do you want a job in Chicago?" And I said, "Well, uh, in a while." And uh, but anyway, so long story short, uh, that while didn't happen, and um, I met with the folks at the charity and. Um, I have to tell you, it was like it was coming home on so many levels, you know, it was coming home to Chicago, but it was coming home back to pediatric healthcare, And it was um, it's just it just felt full circle uh, in so many ways. And I I just fell in love with the mission. Uh, More importantly, I fell in love with the people um, and, and the, um, the dedication that they have and the love that they have, that they, they continue to share with all the patients and the families. It is just, it's extraordinary. So, um, so, you know, you make decisions for reasons, um, but you, I think we should all stay open to possibility. Um, and that's sort of what happened. It all just sort of came together. I
0: really love how you how you say if you kind of leave with integrity, like it it will take you places and you'll just end up in the right spot. I think that's just a really good mindset to kind of go into, especially for people in like your early careers. Like it is really all about just having integrity, being a good person, being a good colleague. Like I think those those are are really great things that can just like lead you to the right place. So I I love that story, and I think it it definitely shows like how. Like how impactful you've been in the industry and like in this field. I think that's that it's. Just amazing. It's something to really look up to. And I do want to go back a little bit to Ronald McDonald um, and kind of ask like, there's so much importance um, behind keeping families physically together um, to support their loved ones. What has that impact kind of looked like? And I know you've probably had like a unique situation with COVID, but how has that really looked like and transformed over the years?
1: Yeah. So it is. Um... It is definitely, um, as the years have gone by, we have taken a look at and done research around um, the impact uh, that, that this family-centered care approach has and, um, and it is significant. So we know that again, intuitively, Um, you, and you were just saying a few minutes ago that if you put yourself, you immediately put yourself in the, in the mindset of a child and you were saying, well, if I were sick and I were alone, Mm -hmm. I'd be, you know, having my family. And now we, you know, now we have actual research to show that, that there's, Mm -hmm. that there's positive impact on the child's, um, improvement, um, and, and being. But really, um, during COVID, what we found is that we had to pivot. Um, As an organization, as I mentioned earlier, especially around use of volunteers, Um, and we had to make some very difficult decisions um, early on back in March, uh, two Mm -hmm. years, almost two years ago now, and we had to limit um, the amount of folks that we were able to have in the programs, and um, we have now spent the last, going on two years, we had 22 months of really building out almost a separate function, if you will, from the global office around all of the specifics that we need to have um, to make sure that our families are being cared for in the safest way possible. Um, So what we have found as an organization is that the hard work that's done, and you'll hear me talk about this a little bit when we talk about career development, there is so much that we had in place as an organization um, from a infrastructure standpoint um, all of the what people would consider boring work or the unseen work around making sure that we had proper uh, communications modalities in place, that we had the technology in place, um, that we had built a level of trust with all of our chapters. So to explain a little bit, we are a feder, what they call in the nonprofit world a federated structure. So we are a 501c3 global charity, but our chapters are also registered as independent charities, um, but they are licensed through us and they agree to abide by the, all of the guidelines and policies that we have, of course, around you know fiduciary responsibility, financials, mm-hmm. certainly around brand, but very, very specifically around operations. As you might imagine, um, mm-hmm. our standards are extraordinary because we're dealing with sick and immune compromised children. So um, if there ever was a charity in an odd way that was prepared for a pandemic, it was us because we already had such strict standards in place um, in how we operated our our programs. Um, At the same time, this took it to a whole nother level. And so I think the thing we're most proud of, and I say this with huge tremendous humility, because I know this can change at any time, um, is that we held together uh, as an organization and a, as a system as we were under incredible stress and continue to be. This is not over yet for our, our chapters and, and our, our service to families, but that we were able to communicate properly. Uh, with the chapters in a way that was in real time, that we were able to provide uh, grants to them to help them move through financial difficulty, that we were attuned to the staff's individual well-being so that they felt supported, uh, that they weren't just out there fighting this incredible battle that we're all fighting with COVID alone, that they were part of a a broader whole, that we had peer-to-peer. Uh, incredible peer-to-peer meetings with the chapters so that they could lean on each other, continue to do best practice and learn from each other. But we also were able to pivot our programs to be able to support the community. So, for example, the family rooms I mentioned, um, we actually were able to pivot 115 of our programs to become respite areas for healthcare care work, frontline health workers at the beginning of the pandemic. We were able to pivot our care mobiles uh, to, in some cases, they were outside of hospitals, uh, providing well baby care for families that were not, you know, going into the hospital for those types of things and immunization. So I think that that is, you know, if I look back and we are, again, I say with humility, we're still in it. But if we look back over the last year and a half, two years, I think that that has been, to me, a bit of a silver lining for our organization that we are coming through this stronger um, as an organization. And um, I have been, as you mentioned, a part of other very large global voluntary health organizations and um that's not always the case. Um, and so that's a, a key differentiator for us. And I think it is because we did that hard work. All of those things were in place when and we were prepared. Um, and, and so I think that those are lessons that can apply to individuals uh, in their career as well. Um, it's not enough uh, to, you know, it's to, to have good intention. It's, Mm -hmm. it's vital that you are prepared, that you are prepared at every step of the way in your career, that you do the hard work you do. Mm -hmm. My father, you know, people on my team laugh because I use this quote all the time. My father's always used this quote about toiling in distant vineyards that, you know, this that, that the wine is great but the wine comes from all the toil in those distant vineyards. And so, um, so that applied to our organization and it, I think it applies to um, individuals career development.
0: Mm-hmm. No, definitely, and and with that being said, too, like has has Ronald McDonald taken any of these like newer practices and additions? And do you guys plan to take some of those even after COVID is here? Like, has any certain new change due to the pandemic has it shown so much success um, that it's planned to keep? After the pandemic?
1: Yeah, we definitely are continuing. You know, we are an organization that very much values curiosity and very much values innovation. Uh, so, even pre pandemic, part of what is very effective for us is the um, all of the leadership programs that we provide and all of the ongoing education programs that we provide. And within that is incredible peer to peer sharing of knowledge. Um, you know, as I mentioned, We are very, I love that, you know, people know our name and Mm -hmm. they think of Ronald McDonald House, but they think of their, like I mentioned, their local chapter. They don't think of us as this broad, you know, global organization. Mm -hmm. But part of the reason why they think that is because we are so grassroots. We are so effective on the on the community level. We are so tuned in to what the individual communities need based on socioeconomic need, based on the healthcare structure in that community, or lack thereof, mm-hmm. um, in, in many cases. And so we have been an organization that has, that is a part of our DNA. That's how we've always operated. And so that continued through COVID. So, Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the uh, safety protocols and all those things, quite frankly, they were already there because of the, again, because of the patient population, but the continued shared best practice um, around ways that we can help um, beyond the walls of mm-hmm. our own house or family rooms or the wheels of our mobile, um, all of those types of community based programs, for sure. Uh, they, they have always been a part of who we are, and they're going to continue. I, mm-hmm. will, I will mention uh, that even during uh, the height of this, we were still able to open new programs. Uh, mm-hmm. We opened mm-hmm. in the past year, 10 new Ronald McDonald houses and 10 new family rooms, which um, you know, frankly, uh, it, to me, is extraordinary uh, that in the middle of the pandemic, we were holding our own and also still uh, finding ways to grow.
0: That's amazing. I think like, like you said, being prepared is probably what had made that so successful. So that's really exciting. And looking forward, I know that you guys just went over your um, impact strategy. What does that kind of look like? What does that entail? Um, and I know one of those portions is increasing access and removing mm-hmm. the barriers. Um, what does that look like?
1: Miss Rachel, you have done your homework. <laughs> uh, so yes, we have. Um, we uh, completed our impact strategy over a year ago, and we spent um Uh, Last year, um, doing very detailed cascade, if you will, of what the uh, impact strategy goals are uh, that then layer down all the way to individuals goals on our team so that every goal that our individuals, our our team members have, they all um, they all roll up um, to support uh, this impact strategy. So we have uh, five primary areas of uh, focus as, as we move forward and through 24. Um, and you mentioned the increased access to quality healthcare. Um, this is primary, this is absolutely primary. Um, every child, every child in the entire world should have access to the best healthcare available to them, full stop. And it is not the case it is quite an inequitable uh, situation, not just in the United States, but especially in in other areas of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And it is it is something that is a basic human right, um, and something that we as human beings it is incumbent upon us to provide that for you know the least of these, the most vulnerable in our society, children. And so. Our focus is to make sure that we continue to have the programs that allow families to take the economic burden off of them uh, to be able to choose the best quality health care wherever that is so that they can have access to that and also through our expanded um, mobile units. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to provide um, access to health care in areas. You know, for example, in Indonesia, you know, we have our care mobiles that go literally up into the hills and the mountains of that of that area where there is no access to health care. And we have pediatric providers um, that we do not employ. I want to be clear. We provide the uh, care mobile and we provide the, at the partnership, we do not provide healthcare, uh, but with our, our health care partners uh, to be able to provide that um, and to be able to provide in areas basic immunizations um, that children don't have access to. And an area that most people who don't work in the space don't know about is, is the importance of dental care and what, what that means to the overall health care of a child and how frankly, dismal it is um, in, the, in the U.S. and in, in other areas of the world. So this is primary, right? This is, um, this is what gets us all out of bed. And this is what gets us moving through difficult days. Um, that, that is a, that's a hallmark of what we're doing. Um, in order to do that, we, though, we need to build the capacity to support the, the needs, right? So that's, uh, that's the second piece. Uh, what are we doing to build that capacity? How do we keep growing? How do we keep, how do we keep finding that? Un- how do we keep meeting that unmet need? Um, and in order to do that is our third focus area, which is we, we've got to continue to elevate our mission uh, and brand so that people really understand, you know, being able to do things like this, again, thank you, so that people, we have an opportunity to tell our full story so people understand the full impact of what they do, because when they understand that, they want to support it they get it. They get it on a really visceral level. And then we want to make sure in doing so that we continue to distinguish ourselves as an equitable and inclusive organization. We are a global charity. We serve um, every type of population, literally in the world. And, um, and we want to make sure that we reflect that in who we are um, and that we are, you um, you know, this is something that is not new. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's new to other organizations, unfortunately. Uh, but again, I'm going to use the phrase DNA. It's always been part of our DNA. And my position on it is, okay, it's something that we just do like breathing. So let's make sure people know it, right? Let's make sure now that this is something that others are adopting. Uh, let's make sure people will know that we've been doing it all along, uh, mm-hmm. and that and that they want to be a part of it. And then, of course, you know. We feel very proud and um, confident that the work that we do is having impact, and so we want to make sure that we now can go just outside of just Ronald McDonald House Charities and really start to influence the healthcare and philanthropic sector. So really becoming a little more external as a as a as a group and and starting to really be a part of the broader uh, discussion uh, in in those industries, uh, which we are we have been doing and we will continue to do.
0: Yeah. And healthcare is such like a vital, vital role in everyone's life. So I, I think it's always like those words that, you know, that you were saying that like healthcare right now is inequitable and like the goal is to become equitable. Like, I think that in itself is just, it's definitely a reflection of like how great Ronald McDonald is doing at making sure that everyone has that access, which is like, which is amazing because we could talk about U S healthcare and other healthcare for days. Like it's just, you know, right now I, I feel like those type of organizations is what is really important to make sure that everyone does have that access and everyone is able to feel safe and secure and not feel the stress of like not having health insurance. And yeah, there's just, there's so much, there's so much behind that. So I I think that's great. And I I do want to get a little bit into career development and kind of what, what has made you the leader that you are today. I think my first question is kind of what does it feel like being a representation of women CEOs in the workforce i i know when i was younger like i never thought like oh maybe one day i'll be a ceo like it was never something that i thought could happen. So I, re- I really think that you're giving other women who like might not have had or seen that possibility, like myself, something to look up
1: to and know that it is a possibility for them too. Yeah, well, you're kind. Um, I, I think it's, um, it, it is definitely, you know, we know representation is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that people need to see themselves in leaders and they need to they need to see at least somewhat of a reflection of themselves so that they can start to think well wait a minute if he or she or they are are doing this um wow you know okay uh and it opens it it opens a door it cracks a window right Mm -hmm. uh for people to start to recognize that their potential um could be used in a way that, um, that maybe, that, as you said, maybe that they hadn't thought about before. So in that sense, I am, I'm thrilled um, to be in a position if that helps other women to see. I, I like to say, too, if it helps men, uh, again, if just seeing somebody who is, is leading with integrity and recognizes the importance of caring for others, um, I think that applies universally. Um, but for women, um, you know, I, I'm now long in my career. Um, and even when I, when I started my career in in the mid 80s, you know, it was a, a different landscape uh, than it is now. And so the glass ceiling certainly uh, was not anywhere near broken in the 80s. And there was um, definitely, um, it's certainly better than it was in the 70s. And God only knows better than, you know, was in the 60s. But no, nothing, nothing like it is uh, today, um, and so it's been an interesting journey, you know, to see it. But um, I think it's important, and I think what's more important though is, is as women have moved into leadership roles, and I've watched it now for a decade. I've been in, I've been running organizations for. 12, 15 years, I guess, but yeah, wow. Anyway, for a long time. And um, what I've seen is um, women reaching out to other women. Every woman leader um, that I have, uh, that has been a colleague of mine, I can't think of one who hasn't realized um, the importance of their position. Um, I think it's, you know, we got to be careful, always careful. I'm not important. There is nothing important about Kelly Dolan what's important is the work I do and how I serve others. And so, you know, I think if, I think if, if you always look at it that way, um, then you're going to be open, right. And you're going to be accessible and, um, and you're going to have, um, I, I hope the right mindset in being an example for others um, and not at being um, something that feeds your own ego. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think women sometimes feel, a little reticent, they feel a little bit like, well, who am I? I mean, why would, why would anyone want to listen to me? Well, guess what? Everyone wants to listen to you because you've been there, you've done it, you've done the work, you know what you're doing, you've, you've acquired these level of skills, you've acquired this level of experience, and with that comes wisdom. And wisdom is to be shared. Um, and that doesn't make you think that you're better than anybody and it doesn't make you think that you're above anybody. It just is another, it's another form of service. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think that is something that I've seen in mature women leaders that they realize that they that they need to that they want to um, mm-hmm. pay it forward. Um, but I do think for women even that aren't in higher level leadership roles, I think that we need to make sure that we own who we are, and that it is not about thinking that we're better or more important, but it's about again um, using what we've learned to help others.
0: And and I know that we talked a little bit about you kind of making the move back to Chicago and having this like new change in your life. Do you have any like advice maybe for someone who is either unhappy where they are or is about to make this huge career change and just kind of just trying to find their footing? Like how, how, how would you kind of like put them in the right direction?
1: Yeah. So first, the first thing I would ask is, um, you know, why are you unhappy so there's a lot that um, you know people imbue their circumstances with um, a lot of thinking that makes them unhappy with where they are, and they don't realize that we learn just as much as we're developing our career. Um, when we're in tough situations. And in fact, I might say we learn more uh, than we're we're in very comfortable uh, situations. So I would encourage anyone who, um, especially all this, everyone's part of the big quit and the big resignation Mm -hmm. and all that. I would urge everyone to take a beat. I would would urge everyone to stop and look around and say, um, part of what makes you successful in your career and what makes you a good leader is, a, a, is resiliency. And resiliency is not born out of um, happy, easy um, jobs. And so I think that um, when I, I read all of, you know, I read everything. And when I read, I'm reading all these things in the Wall Street Journal and the Times and the, you know, and then, you know, all the business publications and, and it's concerning to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it is, um, so I think that's the first thing is to really look around and say, um, what is making me unhappy? Do I have outside, outsized expectations where I'm supposed to be at this point in my career? I'm finding over and over again, that there are people who have outsized expectations of where they think they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize, uh, that to build the skills that they need, they need to be in a lot of jobs that aren't very fun and that aren't very interesting, and that don't quote unquote fulfill them. Uh, that's why they call it work, right? Um, that's, why, that's why it's not a hobby. That's why it's not, you know, and um, so it's, it's, I think that's a, that's something that I think really needs to be talked about more. So, but, If you are, if you have, if you are at a point where you feel you've done everything you can for an organization, and by the way, that's how you need to be thinking about it. It's not about what everything that you can get. It's about what have I done to move this organization forward? And, um, and if you feel you've done that and you don't think you can learn any more from it, or you are in a situation that's unfair and those are, that's real. I mean, that happens. Um, you know, I think you just again. I go back to being prepared. Be prepared. Be make sure that you have the skill sets that you need to move to the next role. Make sure that you are prepared to 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 go into a job where you don't have all the skill sets, but that you have enough to get you in the door, and that you have enough confidence that you're willing to learn and learn quickly. Um, I cannot overestimate the importance of being a quick study. Mm-hmm. I can't overestimate the importance of getting in a job and th- and you know literally you need to be there earlier and later than everyone else because you need to figure it out and you need to figure it out as much on your own as possible no one has time to hold your hand and so that is your job your job is to figure it out that's why you're a grown up that's why you've been put in that role and the more you figure it out and the more you provide solutions and the more you produce, the more you're going to move forward. And so I think that that is, and, and you need to know that when you make the transition, it's going to be hard. You don't even, you don't know where the bathroom is. You don't know anybody's name. You don't know, you don't know who knows who about what. You have no institutional knowledge. You're walking in cold into an organization and you know nothing and everybody around you, even people who are younger in their career and not as experienced, know more than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, is, that's, that can be very difficult for people, but it's, it's reality. And so you just need to be steeled and ready for it. And you need to be excited about it. Like, you know, I just looked at myself in my, especially, you know, my 20s, 30s, even my 40s. Um, and I still to this day, I'm a sponge, I want to learn something every day, I want to like be, I want to be challenged every day. I mean, there are days when I'm, <laughs> I, I want a little less challenge. Yeah. But I mean, that's the attitude that you have to have if you want to get to a, a really a, a high leadership level. And if you want to really master, you know, I think the I think the real focus should be on mastering skills, you know, and that you are you have a craft, whatever that is. And you need to master that craft. And I think when you do that, then you're, you know, then you're beyond marketable. You've made yourself impenetrable to failure because you've developed a set of skills that make sure that you can always find something. And it also could be that they that they're at a high enough level that you could become the kind of leader, whatever that is, um, that you want to be. I really love that. And I'm like taking internal notes right now,
0: (laughs) like of things that you're saying. And I I really like, um, like what you said about being a sponge. Like, I think it's, it's such a good opportunity to kind of like learn everything that you can and you can take it with you and just really taking advantage of that. And I, I want to ask too, like, is there, um, do you have like a good piece of advice that you wish you would have gotten um, for someone that's wanting to be in executive leadership, someone who like has that goal of maybe one day becoming a CEO? Yeah,
1: I think it's important, um, if, especially talking to women. Um, and I found this over and over again. I had some critical junctures in my career where I was um, promoted into roles at young ages. Um, mm-hmm. I had this weird thing that kept happening, I got, you know, I, I would, I was always trying to figure things out for the organization and in doing so was then recognized and then said, you know, a number of times, well, well, okay, well then you can do it. And I'd be like, wait, what, wait a minute. Huh? Like, I, I thought you were going to hire a vice president to do that. I'm a manager, you know, kind of thing. And they'd be like, nah, yeah, you're going to do it. And, and in those cases, especially in, in, you know, you can become not popular. There are people, you know, it's competitive. Jobs are competitive. People are trying to move to the next role. There's only so many leadership roles in any given organization. And so I think what happens, and I've seen it quite often in my career, is women are bothered because they feel that they're not liked at times or in Mm -hmm. situations. And I think what we need to remember is it's not about being liked. It's about being respected. And again, that goes back to doing everything with integrity. If you act with integrity and if you treat people with integrity and you are fair and fair-minded and you're consistent in that, even those that, and I'm going to say temporarily, dislike you because you've gotten a job they have or because you've been moved into something that they wanted or Uh, Or they're just plain jealous because they haven't done the work, they haven't developed the craft, and they haven't been as innovative or whatever, fill in the blank. And there are a lot of those. We all know people who think that they should have more but aren't willing to work to do it. And you can't let that bother you. And I think that's that's a key difference with women. Women tend to want to be liked. And that's that if, if that's what your primary focus is, and if that's going to hold you back, and that's, that's really not what business is about. Again, um, I like to think I, I we all do I like to think I'm likable. And I can tell you my closest friends that I've, I've that I've known I've have, have been people I've worked with, literally 30 years ago, every job I've had, I have developed long time friendships that I still have to this day from every single role I've had close personal friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I always had the attitude that I'm here to work and I'm here to produce. Um, and I think it's really important to maintain that and not let, uh, worry about likability and what people say about you, um, Mm -hmm. deter you.
0: Yeah. And, and with that being said of like, not focusing on being light, um, is there any like lessons that you've kind of learned over your career that you would like others to learn from as well?
1: I think it's really important to, to enjoy your work. You want to grow and learn, and it's hard to learn a craft. It's It takes a lot of hours and it takes a lot of time and dedication. But, um, you know, we do this for 10 hours a day, right, and sometimes longer. And if you don't have a sense of accomplishment and joy from it, it's it's not you're you're not going to have a lot of longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to you're and the people you know everyone's talking about burnout burnout. Yeah, I think it's a little overused. I mean, I th- I think people are right now. It's um it's incredibly difficult. There's so much uncertainty and mm-hmm. um so many jobs have been made so much more difficult with the pandemic. Totally understand that. Separate from that, though, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of overuse, you know, people are being burned out. But part of it is because they really don't find meaning in what they're doing. And I think if you find meaning in what you do every day, from that comes a lot of uh, longevity. From that comes the ability to to maintain an equilibrium, a balance um, about your emotions and Mm -hmm. about your energy level and all of those things that are important. Um, For long term uh, viability, frankly, Um, Mm -hmm. so many people uh, leave, they drop out before they get to uh, senior leadership levels. And there is a host of reasons for that. But I think one of the big ones is um, it's an endurance game. And so if you're, if you're to endure um, anything, you need to have some level of enjoyment from it. And um, mm-hmm. so I think that that is important. I think it's important to stop and look around and I wasn't always good at this. That's why I'm sharing it and to really appreciate uh, where you are and to really have gratitude for the situation that you're in. And, and I think that, that, that goes a long way. -hmm. To your personal happiness, but also to longevity in a career. I think it really um, it helps you to avoid that level of burnout. Really, that sort of this is why am I doing this? You know, that Groundhog Day uh, Mm -hmm. kind of thing that people feel. (laughs) Um, And I think that's a that's a that's an important point. That's more for people, you know, mid mid career Mm -hmm. and and later, Um, not so much younger folks. But it's I think it's really important.
0: Yeah. But I think I, what you said of your burnout could really just be like something that doesn't bring you meaning. It doesn't make you fulfilled. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Cause I I definitely have felt that feeling. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, Oh, like, this is hard. Like, I just, I don't feel like, I don't feel happy in the situation. I feel burnt out. But then I thought to myself like, well, it's because I probably don't love this job. Maybe there's somewhere
1: else I need to be. So I, I I definitely can relate to that. And And I think it's important to find meaning wherever you are. So, you Mm -hmm. know, you just, so I think that there are, you know, a lot of times people think, well, I don't love this job. Well, is there something in that job? Are there Mm -hmm. people you can help support? Um, Are there things that you can be doing um, that provide meaning that maybe isn't technically in your job description? and to sort of click the dial a little and, and, and look at it um, and see. There are a lot of jobs that feel unfulfilling until you look around and think about maybe how you're helping others, or there are a lot of jobs that you just do because you need that skill and you Mm -hmm. need that time and you can continue to learn in those jobs. You can watch the leadership in those, those jobs. And that in and of itself is Mm -hmm. learning. Um, and preparing you. And you learn as much from negative leaders as you do from good leaders. um, Mm -hmm. As you're coming up in your career, you watch and you learn and you see what works and what doesn't work. So again, to kind of put yourself in the position of being a student all the time, Mm -hmm. um, and realize, you know, that that you actually, you are learning, uh, Mm -hmm. even if you feel sometimes that you're stagnant.
0: Yeah, and I I definitely couldn't have obviously couldn't have gotten this new job without my experience at my last. So that I think that's, it's definitely like a good way to reflect on that. And one of my, one of my final questions for you um, is, do you have a favorite story or memory from your time at the Ronald McDonald house charities?
1: Wow. You know, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm coming up on five years. Um, There's a lot, there's so many. Um, And so many incredible stories of people i work directly with in the in the global charity and the um the paths that they've walked and what they've endured we've had you know people who've had great loss in their lives and they've continued to stay so dedicated to their work and i just find that so uh inspirational you know we've had you know quite a few people on our uh, even on our global team that i'm thinking about when i say that and the level of professionalism, and the um, the focus on mission, um, mm-hmm. and the ability to think outside of themselves, and the and the pain and loss that they were in, is really you know it's hard it's hard to put into words. The mm-hmm. when I think about um, with our pay, our the, the house programs and our patient families, um, I think about a the I'm, there's a little girl I was in uh, right before the pandemic. It was one of my last non U S trips. I was in Mexico City. And um, we were at one of the houses, we have a lot of programs in Mexico City. And um, there was a little girl that um, they were, they were hosting a little reception. And part of it was because some of us were there. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was a little girl that was going home that day. Um, And she had been, um, she'd been there for a long time. She'd had um, multiple surgeries. And seeing her with her mother and her siblings, she came over to, to bring me something. It was a little gift. And, and just, I just had a moment with her. Um, And it's hard to explain. It's hard to put in words, but I just looked at her and it was just the, knowing that, you know, that she um, had the support she needed and that she was just so just precious. I mean, just so dear. And I thought to myself, you know, and her mother was, you know, just, just to see, just to see the the fact that they were together and that they had made it through to the other side, and she still had. I, I was talking with another person on our team. She still has quite a journey ahead of her, and the family lives in in abject poverty. And um, and and the fact that we have programs that we're going to help her and her family as they got back home, and make sure that she could come back for her continued treatment. But just to see the joy, she was so joyful. And to know that a child, even in those circumstances, who had battled through so much and still had something ahead of her, it was pure little kid joy. You know, and that's that's just amazing. That is, that's something that there isn't enough money in the world, you know, to uh, to, to compensate, you know, for, for that kind of, um, meaning and to see that kind of joy in a little, a little kid's face. So that's, I think about her. I love that story. And I, I
0: can't imagine like how that impact kind of feels like even just, you know, you're here in the U S but you guys have such a bigger impact. Like it's, you know, it's, worldly, which is, it, which yeah. is great. And I, I think stories like that need to be heard. And I, I'm so appreciative of you coming on this podcast and talking about your story and talking about your career development. Cause I think yeah. it's, it's so important to hear other people's stories and see what you can take from it. And I really appreciate all the advice that you gave too. Is there any information that we can give people listening if they want to get involved sure. or support Ronald McDonald house charities?
1: Absolutely. So we love, you know, for people to support, um, even on the local level, and also either either globally, but if you want to volunteer, again, we've got some, you know, some significant limitations right now, but we definitely mm-hmm. still have availability. And the best way to do it is to find your local chapter, or if you want to donate is rmhc.org. And we have an area on there where you can just type in where you live, and mm-hmm. um, all the programs in your area will come up, um, so that you can either choose to support them financially, which is... Mm-hmm. So needed right now. Um, One of the things that the pandemic has happened is that we're not able to do a lot of the fundraising events Mm -hmm. um, that we normally do. So our chapters are in great need of financial support. So you can certainly donate um, and find other ways um, that you can support the chapter. Well, thank you so
0: much, Kelly. I love this episode. And this is actually like our first um, guest interview for season two in 2022. So I, I can't imagine a better guest. So thank you so
1: much again. And I can't wait for people to listen to this episode. Oh, thank you so much. You're so kind. And I just have enjoyed it very much. And thank you for the opportunity.
0: Of course. I'll see you soon. Okay. Take care. Bye.